More and more badass women are joining the ranks as highly skilled construction professionals. Construction and renovation projects wouldn't happen without the skills of the various crews involved. As we all know, the skilled trades have been male-dominated for like forever. In this season, I'm highlighting the amazing women doing their thing in the construction sector. Every journey and every story is different, but they are all inspiring. Have a listen as I learn about their stories. Hello, all you amazing humans. Today I have Anna Larry on the show. She's an electrician, an instructor, and a change agent. I love that, change agent. She's been teaching in the electrical apprenticeship program at BCIT for 10 years. She's completed her provincial instructor diploma and master of education specializing in curriculum and instruction. And if that's not enough, she's also a regional representative for the British Columbia Center for Women in Trades Training and Technology. That's a mouthful, BCC wit. Um, she brings empathy and understanding grounded in her lived experience with uh, the biological and social realities of being a woman in almost exclusively male-dominated workplaces. Her work now includes peer support for women at BCIT and for staff and students. So Anna, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Brandy. I'm delighted to be here and to be part of this. Thank you so much. You're, oh, I'm just so thrilled to have you. So I'm looking forward to hearing more about what you do, what you're up to. So let's just, we're just going to jump right into it. So first things first, share with me your journey to the trade sector. How does it that you landed on being an electrician? When did that happen? How did you get there? And then we can talk about a little bit more about your um, certificates and highlights and lowlights of being in the field. So I graduated from high school and I kind of was floating a little bit. I went off to university. I did um, a bunch of like anthropology courses. I studied Chinese and none of it really connected with me. Hmm. Uh, and then literally a family friend suggested being an electrician and I knew nothing. I didn't know what like a piece of Lumex looked like. I knew I didn't know what was behind a plug on the wall. And I was like, well, that sounds kind of interesting. And people tried to steer me towards like a trace discovery program. And I'm like, now nah, I'll just be an electrician. So I, Signed up for an electrical foundation program at BCIT in 1997, and uh, it was a 40-week program, and that was a bit of an eye-opener for me in lots of different ways, and I went out and started work uh, in greenhouses in Richmond and Ladner. That was my first job. Then I wound up uh, joining the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, and I uh, worked on the Stanley Theater, on the renovation of the Stanley Theater. That was... Uh, so cool. Yeah. I was just so there one like of, a couple weeks ago. One of the things I love about electrical work and having done it for a long time is there's all kinds of buildings and restaurants and public facilities that I've worked on all over Vancouver. So I feel like a real sense of connection uh, wow. when I'm going around Vancouver. Cool. So um, you also sort of up-leveled from just your ticket because um, you've got a, a class B. Yeah, I'm a field safety representative. Yeah. So after after I got my Red Seal endorsement, um, I, I actually decided not to do commercial work for a while. I decided not to do construction. I went into the film industry 
Mm. And the first thing I did uh, going into the film industry, I wanted to be able to pull permits for full set film sets. So I got my full entertainment certificate, which I just challenged because I had my red seal. Right. Uh, and then I could pull permits for film sets. So I worked uh, in film for a number of years as a generator operator, set wireman, uh, lamp operator, um, use, using my uh, my red seal endorsement and my uh, my full entertainment certificate. And then a number of years later, I did, you have to do a code course and write like a, a big code exam. I got my field, uh, FSR, my field safety representative. Right. And, so, and now, now I'm a master electrician. <laughs> Yay. Um, so how is it going back to like write that, that test after sort of being away from like the books for a while? Was it something that was a, a real um, challenge to kind of just get into that? It or was, was, like, oh, it was tough. Time. It was tough. Um, so a lot of the uh, higher level certifications to do with electrical work are code tests. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of specific skill to write a code test. So you have to be able to interpret the language of the code. And like if it says shall, what does it mean? Or if it says uh, where possible, what does it mean? So there's lots of interpretation and it's quite dry. And uh, then you have to know what we call it at work and what it's called in the code book. You have to know about all the appendixes you look in. And then you have to know about all your other electrical regulations, like the electrical safety regulation, the electrical safeties act, uh, bulletins, directives. So it's. Yeah. And everything's constantly being revised and updated from a perspective as we advance forward. I mean, like even 10, 12 years ago, we didn't have charging stations for our vehicles. Like that, that, that is a whole other thing that, you know, yes. It's wild. Electrical is changing so quickly, and it it needs to. It needs to because climate change is. Uh, yeah, but it's just like, like you wouldn't have even been exposed to the notion of that back in 1997, and then here we are, all these years later, and it's like commonplace. It's, they're like everywhere. So I got my red seal in 2001 or 2002, and then I didn't. Um, think it. Yeah, I didn't get my FSR until quite a while later. So my field safety representative. And at that, I'd already like done lots of different kinds of work and installation and worked as like a foreman and like, uh, I moved. So I worked in the film industry for a number of years. And then I had my daughter and film industry hours don't work all that well for family life. But construction actually is not bad in a lot of ways. Yeah. So um, I had to get a nanny. Um, so I had a nanny. Sounds kind of fancy. But then I would get up at like 6 a.m. and go but work in a hole on the ground for six hours or whatever, seven hours and come home again. Um, I went back to construction when I had my daughter and uh, it it kind of worked out. And then um, I didn't think of any doing any further certifications. Tell uh, this guy who'd been my apprentice went and got his FSR, and I'm like, "Well, I better go do that too." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for so sure. You got to show me up, Mister. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then it's been an amazing extra qualification to have. 
it made step they made me more employable in all kinds of ways nice yeah I mean and just like going back to the whole like the nanny thing this that kind of just dovetails into um what I what I know to be true and what I have been hearing with other guests I've been having in this this wit series around some of the challenges that women have in particular because we do carry the lion's share of the domestic load um and you know being able to work in the skilled trade sector means the majority of the time you are starting early which means that you you know you need childcare that early childcare is very and, challenging and that most places don't even open in time for you to get yourself to work let alone get your kid to yeah. care and then get yourself over to where you need to be so that and nanny like, was the only option for me yeah, it was the so, only thing that worked like the, and i had the economic work. privilege that it could work for me so yeah and and this notion of a nanny being fancy no it's not it was it's it's a it's almost a requirement when you work hours that just don't happen to fit in that that bucket that a lot of other people can you know work and live within and people that are in the trades you just don't fit in that bucket i think it's really challenging too if you're an apprentice and you decide to have a child during that time because you don't have the income yet to support having it. yeah yeah for sure so that's so, an extra layer of challenge to uh, completing your red seal yeah yeah 100 percent. so from being on the tools and so on and so forth you have sort of navigated your way through to instruction teaching yeah instruction uh-huh. was something i never thought of i was literally just uh, i was doing service work and Parts of it I really enjoyed. Like, I really liked the variety challenge and learning new things all the time. But I didn't like that I didn't know uh, what time I'd be home. Mm, yeah. And so it was really tough for parenting um, and childcare. So I was looking for job opportunities and I had teaching wasn't even on my radar, even though I've always loved like a mentoring apprenticeship apprentices and sharing knowledge with them uh it wasn't even on my radar but i looked at the job posting online because i was looking for any job postings to do with electrical and it said 10 weeks holiday a year and then the salary range was decent so i (laughs) i literally just called um the chief instructor at bcit and i was uh, in the electrical training center ted simmons and i'm like Ted, is this something I should look at? He's like, come and talk to me. And I went and talked to him and he gave me a stack of books. And two weeks later, I was working there. Wow. So, yeah. So um, from what I understand, like you've been really taking, it feels to me like a leadership role in developing and implementing curriculum and trying to look at recruitment and retention, especially of female for those who are identifying as, as female uh, apprentices and right from the foundation program, right through the, the Red Seals and beyond. So tell me a little bit more about sort of your, well, your I, I, di- I didn't do that really at first at BCIT, I have to say. So the first few years, I, when you transition from uh, being on the tools to teaching, it's very tough. You have to learn all your classroom management skills. You have to relearn all the curriculum in a way that makes sense for when you deliver it to students. Um, And I actually felt like incredibly isolated at BCIT. So BCIT is this huge school. Um, 
and but we then we have all these little separate departments and there's about 45 electrical instructors and there's at the time there were two other women one was out in maple ridge and one was on holiday so when i started i was one of the only women in my building right and i just felt so lonely yeah and there was a lot of older instructors uh who were quite uh, set in their ways very old-fashioned yeah. so i had this like big sense of isolation um and then i started to get my feet under me and i completed my provincial instructor's diploma and then i did my uh master of education in specializing in curriculum instruction and doing that extra certification opened some doors for me so bcit uh, was collaborating in a, uh, a project uh looking at uh create at the recruitment and retention of women in the red seal trades right and actually it was kind of funny they didn't consider me uh for a role on that committee at first they had a an older gentleman mm-hmm. in his 60s and i think for them it was just a scheduling issue and then i'm like i should be on this committee writing curriculum yeah. <laughs> because i have my masters and i'm female and yeah. they're like oh you're right duh um and, and then i got to uh, sort of network with uh other colleges so Camosun was the lead on this uh, on the, the the initiative so it was a, a grant from Western Economic Diversification Canada to create um to enhance the recruitment and re- retention of women in the red seal trades and we were we did um we did surveys of all the stakeholder groups yeah uh, so focus groups we did focus groups of the employers uh educators and and female trades both students and people who are actively on the tools and so I, imagine, i would imagine like all of those responses would be you know like in those three sort of categories or buckets that the responses would have been very different from each of them like different like the people who are actually in it versus the people who are administrative uh behind it and maybe like those things were not meshing together like everyone thinking that it's all good or not or whatever like what were some of the, the well for us the, it was the gap that was interesting so we found that the instructors who are almost all male like hugely male population yeah. uh really thought that they provided like inclusive warm and welcoming classrooms and probably even if they were part of the focus groups at all they were probably more on that side anyway Uh, and they spoke very positively about having women in the classroom about how it was easier to manage a classroom if there was one or two women in it because the the men would behave better and uh, and that they felt their classrooms were well managed and equitable uh, then we listened to what the women had to say and they had really different experiences probably not with exactly the same group of instructors Mm. but they had different experiences they had instructors saying things like they like literally saying i don't like having women in my classroom yeah undercutting female staff uh they had limited access to washroom facilities because the buildings were so old 
yeah. so, which is astonishing to me, like in a uh, government funded, uh, like a college, yeah. that there might not be a place for women to go to the bathroom. Like, which is wild. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the women also spoke about how having the right instructor could make the big difference towards them stay, staying the course at school, um, towards them completing their Red Seal. And so we kind of realized that instructors were important. And obviously, as educational uh, institutes, we were thinking, what can we do in our classrooms to make our classrooms more welcoming places? So we came up with a two-pronged approach. Actually, it was three-pronged. So the first part was uh, a train-the-trainer program. Just sort of um, get men to, mostly men and women, to get them to think about the barriers. Mm -hmm. Become yeah. aware of the barriers. Because the barriers, if you don't have the barrier, you don't see it. Yeah. Like... Back when I was in trade school, it like this didn't happen for me, but it happened for other women. If you had a sick kid and you missed class, well, you might be marked absent. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's no understanding of that. Um, and that was a women's issue. Right. Well, your wife will stay home and take care of the kid. <laughs> um, so. Making people aware of the barriers and then just sort of raising their awareness about equity, diversity, and inclusion in a way that bought them in, but that wasn't making them feel like they were bad all the time, right? Yeah. Well, there's that there's that notion of like, hey, I'm calling you in so that we can like call you out in a yeah. safe space and not make it um, appear as though like we're jumping on and and yeah. you know, really criticizing and whatever, but it's just like, hey, everybody needs to become aware of of things and themselves and become more self aware because there was nothing when they were going through, nothing when they became instructors. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, patriarchy is you know prevalent everywhere. So how how can they possibly? It just doesn't even occur to them. Yeah, you like, know, unless they're like really really switched on, which very few are. Yeah, we don't we don't see the like. It just kind of makes me think. I'm quite tall. I'm five nine, and my mother's five nine. And she always used to have somebody house sit who's about five foot two. And I'd always go into the kitchen, and there'd be a little step ladder in there. Yeah. And it took me a while to realize that she needed the step ladder to get to the top shelf. <laughs> I'm like, why is this here? It's so annoying. So. Yeah. If, if it doesn't affect you, you don't see it, I'm also guilty of that. So one of the things I always wanted to do was to keep on checking in with um, the stakeholders, so the women and the instructors, to see what their experiences are and what their barriers are. So then we had, so we had the train-the-trainer piece, and then we had um, the next piece is materials for them to deliver in foundation classrooms. So foundation classrooms can be uh, very challenging. So foundation classrooms are a pre-employment program. Yeah. So they um, tend to cover the level one academic material of any trade. Um, and then they have, they'll have math upgrading in the beginning, employment skills, and then they'll have a hands-on piece. 
so that they can then go out into the field and find an employer and become indentured, actually start their apprenticeship. So foundation classrooms, they often have um, very young students, fresh out of high school, maybe even in high school. Yeah. So they'll have a class with some very young students and then maybe some often older women who join the classroom. Yeah. So that could be a very interesting dynamic if you have 14, 19 year olds and then two ladies in their 30s. That can be very challenging. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, or Foundation classes are also places where new instructors tend to be put. Mm -hmm. So people without much in the way of uh, background knowledge or instructional skills or supports even. So we wanted to kind of give them content to deliver and we wanted to give them support and mentorship. And so for me, that was really neat to collaborate on creating this content and these programs. Uh, with Kamosin and, and OC. And that was very challenging because we did it a lot by Zoom. Mm -hmm. so, some of it went really well and some of it was really difficult. So the whole pandemic put an extra kind of twist on everything. Yeah, I mean, like for, for all of us, but yeah, especially when you're trying to develop something new. Yeah, so WD also provided uh, funding uh, for 18 for 54 seats for women, uh, BCIT had funding for 18 women in electrical, and we filled those seats. There's the last seven women um, who are going to graduate in February, I think. So nice. That's been really exciting to me, and to see a lot of them. Not all of them have. Most of them have gone on to work on the tools. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have joined the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. So that's very satisfying to me to see that the 11 women who've already gone through the program have had great success so far. Right. So um, it sounds to me like this has been a, a successful rollout and a thoughtful approach to things and, and that you, you're actually seeing some, some return. Yeah. Well, the next thing I want to have happen is to... Uh, the pilot finishes in March of 2023, and I'm hoping that we sort of pick up the train the trainer piece at BCIT and roll it out across the institution. And we also roll out the enhancements in more foundation classes because electrical obviously isn't the only trade at BCIT. We have most of them. Like yeah. we're the province's largest training provider. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, did you, I mean, just out of curiosity, did you get any pushback from any one of those bodies, pre predominantly like the more like male-dominated administrative, you know, body like groups of people, or or was everybody pretty responsive to what you know the suggestions and and strategies were going to be? I think we had issues because we wound up being a working group of women uh, from the three colleges, and I. I wanted us to keep on going back to the stakeholders and to the male instructors so that we could see if they were on the same page, that they understood the purpose of the curriculum and the training. And luckily I have pretty strong relationships with some of my colleagues. So they could, they would be like, this is nonsense. This means nothing. <laughs> and, and that I would like, 
talk to them and either uh, like hammer it out with them or try and come up with a different strategy. Oh, good. Yeah. So, so here, here you, it can't just be us like talking in a little group. It has to be something that translates. Well, like the more, the more people around the table with more interest and diverse voices, the better the outcome will be with the assumption that people are there with the right intention of working together to, to create something that's amazing, not to be at loggerheads with one another. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear about uh, political correctness. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, fear that they'll be made to be wrong and that they'll lose their position of privilege. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's Um, a, so you have to approach it as a benefit to them as well. Yeah. Like no, having exactly. classroom management tools, because a lot of them don't have very good classroom classroom management tools. And actually they love having like the opportunity to sit down and talk to me and like I'm having this problem in my classroom. This student is ridiculous. And <laughs> and then we're just like we have this conversation. Maybe I don't even offer them great advice, but they've had this kind of place, a safe place where they can talk to me about it. And it's all a lot better. So yeah, I mean, it's great to have a sounding board and be able to, like, yeah. you know, that's, mentorship is something that's often lacking in the trades and mentorship is something that is lacking in trade schools. Yeah. Well, and amazing that when you first started, you felt very isolated, super and, isolated. And just gradually now it's like you've, created this space in this community where you know you're deeply involved and actually being um sort of searched out to to be able to have a conversation like i think that's just like a really amazing so, I, don't, I think about 200 there's about six percent female trades instructors at bcit so there's about 14 of us yeah and a lot of people are newer or very busy with work or, you know, moving up in their departments. And it's really hard to connect with these other women and even hard to find out about them sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So last, so over COVID, I started Zoom meetings with all the female instructors I could find. We had a few of those, but we're all pretty Zoomed out. Yeah, for sure. then this uh, past summer, I started uh, with support from Tamara and uh, Trace Access. I started uh, like holding meetups, and uh, the meetups were more for the students because I wanted the students to connect. And then we had female trace instructors. We had you came to yeah. both of them, uh, and for me that was just awesome because I saw all the the kind of natural networking. I saw uh, women talking about, so I can tell people about resources. I can explain about things, but if one of their peers shares how they got something, it's like yeah. way more real. Oh yeah, totally. It's like you could tell your kid what to do, but if their friend tells them to do the same thing, then all of a sudden it's more. It's you know, it's peer peer explaining. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, um, and just rolling through to the. the because you just mentioned the meetup and both of the times that I, I came for both of them that, that were put on, it was amazing to see the amount of uh, apprentices in there. So, um, you know, the first one, I think we had 
I don't know, maybe 20. And, but the last one was like, what, 40 ish. Like it felt like it, like the room doubled. About 35 in the first one. Okay. And, oh, like closer to 60 on the second. Yeah, so one. almost doubled the second time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, um, Obviously, you've been through apprenticeship. I've been through it. You're working with apprentices. Um, you know, what do you, what's your take on apprenticeship? And has it evolved? Is it still relevant? I mean, I think it is, but like, I'm curious what you think. Like, and I think apprenticeship is essential. Yeah. Like, it used uh, to be a three way agreement between yourself and the employer and the, and the province. And then a bunch of the money was clawed back and it became more and more challenging to sign on and, you know, employers weren't supported as much as they were before all that kind of stuff and I think we're starting to come back down the correct path but um what what do you see as really needing to to be augmented or changed or what what more support should we be seeking or demanding well I I have a lot of different takes on apprenticeship and and one would be like on, on the actual model um so I, I have thoughts about that then i have thoughts about the supports for apprentices and um well so tell me about what, supports tell me about for what your thoughts trades. are and then tell me about what your your thoughts are on let, let me do my oh. women in trades piece first okay okay your women in trades piece. so my women in trades piece first is that um women in trade schools and then women on the tools can be quite isolated so programs uh, like the registered rep from the ita are amazing um so just gathering resources gathering uh, peers who can support you so i love that um then the other thing i, I like bcit we're, we're uh, some of the smaller colleges have done a, a really terrific job of supporting women in trades and they have a lot of resources. They have a lot of staff. And I feel like BCIT is going to move in that direction to have more resources uh, so that people dedicated staff for women in trades, women in uh, trade, like equity groups in trades. And that's very exciting to me because I feel like there's a huge, there's huge room for improvement everywhere. Um, just to kind of uh, connect connect women with supports, grants, because there's lots of government money, there's lots of private interest in money, but people are missing it. It's going right past them, and they don't know what to do if they get into a tough situation with a tough person at work, all these kinds of things. So we can connect people with resources. Uh, BCC WIT is doing an amazing job. Yeah. Uh, the ITA has really taken a strong interest in this. Um, and the federal government is uh, very focused on this because we have, um, it's to their benefit as well, because we're going to have a hard time filling positions in the skilled trades as uh, people retire, right? Oh, so, already. Not, not, yeah. we, not that we will. We are already. Yes. Yes. For a, a lot of years now. So, and just speaking about my trade, a lot of women are excellent on the tools and very strategic and get a lot of work done and are good at paperwork, which I'm not, which is also, I, I didn't realize that was a part of working in the trades. So I'm very, I feel like there's so many opportunities there. I'm very excited about that. Nice. Because um, nice. my, 
me personally, my full-time role is as an electrical instructor. I teach like electrical level two. Anything I do with women in trades is after work or off the side of my desk. So I get paid, but it's a lot. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, so, I mean, the other thing that I, I'm sort of aware of is that, um, you know, and we, and we just talked a little bit about mentorship and, and all that kind of stuff within um, being like peer mentored or whatever. So it, it sounds to me like some of the train the trainer and all that kind of stuff sort of falls into that part of your. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the impact of this peer mentorship program and how, like, how does it work? I mean, it can't just be only you who's like trying to mentor people or like, and all of that. So, well, on the WD side, so peer mentorship is a hot topic right now. Um, and I've received a couple of micro grants at BCIT to, to mentor my colleagues. And that was very interesting. And it also brought home to me that I needed to learn how to mentor because I for sure made some missteps at the beginning. And that it's challenging mentoring people who are your colleagues and your friends. Yeah. <laughs> I, I learned quite a bit. Um, and, but I also realized there was a big thirst for it. Um, and that, that people really wanted connection and validation and strategies. And they needed time that was set aside to do that. Yeah, I think I mean, it often doesn't happen informally. No, I mean, ultimately, I think we all want to do the best job we can. And if you can have someone who's going to mentor you, you can really hone your skills and, you know, figure out strategies and solutions for things that maybe you know that you have a weakness in or that you're struggling with and need a sounding board or whatever. And, and hey, well, here's here's my you know, my bag of tools that are, you know, more on the EQ side of things as opposed to like the physical yes. side yeah. of things. And, you know, not everybody is is gifted with sort of just coming to it on their own. Like sometimes we really do need to share and need to receive what that information is, right? Yeah. And, and then there's other things like learning how to navigate like our learning management software. That can be pretty intense, right? So having somebody just to show you how to write a quiz or to check emails in certain areas that that's amazing like so i've done i've done a bunch of that kind of stuff like this is how you use the learning hub for doing this so yeah cool and that can be very tough for uh, if you're an older instructor who's not computer savvy if you're coming in fresh off the tools and you not only do you have to teach but you have to learn how to use the learning management software so there's so much to learn and kind of synthesize in your teaching practice yeah so, so I, it, this is sort of a, a side question i suppose do you feel as though the trajectory of your career because i mean i i love the fact that just because you're on the tools at one point in your career doesn't mean that you're on the tools forever you don't, and, and you could go back to the tools if you wanted. Like you can bounce back and forth and do different things. And do you feel like that you're you, you've had a really fulfilling career? I mean, you're still you're still young. You still got like time yet in your career. But 
are, are you feel like it's, I, I get the sense that like you are really genuinely satisfied with sort of what you're doing and, and the, the, the oh, give back. I, I frequently feel frustrated. I frequently feel like all throughout my career that sometimes I haven't been given opportunities because of my gender. Sometimes people haven't taken me seriously because of my gender, like showing up at work. <laughs> I went to West Coast production years ago and drove up. And I was just in my regular car because I was just showing up to help somebody. I wasn't in a work van or anything. I'm like, hi, I'm the electrician. And uh, the security guard is like, are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, pretty sure. So lots of large and small frustrations at work, but also um, like an immense amount of satisfaction. I love being an electrician. I love doing electrical work. Like. Uh, after doing it for years, like I have the synthesis of knowledge and skill. So yeah. when I go to do something, I feel really confident about it. I have a plan. My body knows what to do. I know where to put my ladder. I know how to move my hands. And it's an embodied practice. And I, I love that. I absolutely love it. And, you know, when you go to turn a switch on for the first time or uh, close a disconnect, there's always this kind of um, uh, kind of moment where you're like, is it going to work? Or is there going to be a shower of sparks? Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and I like that too. And uh, I also like that I've built all kinds of things around Vancouver. And uh, you have to have a particular mindset for that. Uh, to I always enjoy things that are physically challenging too. So I'm always the person, if I'm in the gym, I'm like red faced and sweating. Like, <laughs> so I, I, it was a big adjustment for me to move into the classroom and away from that kind of physical challenge and embodied practice. That was really tough. Uh, and then it took me a while to feel good at teaching. So I actually had a couple of years where I was just like, this really sucks. <laughs> but I, uh, but it, but what I was thinking is that it made sense for my life at that moment. So I just pushed on through that. And that's another thing, like with the trades, is sometimes you have moments of despair. You have, you're told to go do something and given very little information and resources. Yeah. <laughs> and you, I, I would just, say that that's across the board, no matter what career you're in, you're, yeah. you're going to be thrown in the deep end and have to figure things out and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, you just you said something just like moments ago about having it be an, an embodied practice and you are the first person that has ever brought those two things together and i think it's a very apt joining because yes your body does learn what to do how to do it what something feels like yeah. if it's right if it's wrong you don't have to like work yourself through the steps and and like have it be a really logical thing it's like there is this embodied feeling like for me on like a, a table saw or whatever like when I'm pushing something through it's like oh that doesn't feel right like and it's, right. Not, it's not like you know there's anything that whatever you just know it's just this feeling like this this isn't right I'm, I you know I've got to correct a little bit or whatever and you can't you can't tell somebody how to do that it's just it's a feeling it's practice it's repetition it's, it's something that you do end up 
owning at a cellular level. And I just love the fact that you just brought these two things together for me, because oftentimes we talk about embodiment around like healing and trauma and all these things, but you just, yeah, I just love it. There's a a book I love, which is called The Mind at Work. Mm. And I think the gentleman is Mike Rose. I could be misremembering his name. And it's about the kind of intelligence you need to have to do a lot of jobs that people might consider to be medial, like waitressing, like electrical work. And it's not that easy. There's so much to know and to do it well is, is hard. And he compared it to doing surgery. Same thing. He was like a surgeon knows when they cut into something. They, they they get that kind of kinesthetic feedback that something is right or something is wrong. So yeah. a skilled surgeon who's been doing it for a while. Because you don't want you don't want that brand new surgeon. No. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So so I mean, like talking about that aspect of things, like we're kind of coming towards the end of of our conversation here, and, and I've just it's been fabulous. So I always like to ask. Well, a couple of things. One, if you were to choose a different trade, what other trade would you have considered? Or would you even consider now, now that you know more about what all the other trades are about? I actually, I would love to have done some more like instrumentation, which is kind of on the electrical side. It's a development of it. And then I would also like to have done some woodworking. I'm, I'm somebody who just likes to learn new things all the time feel lifelong learning i'm yeah yeah someone that's totally all over that all right okay now the last real question really is what's your favorite tool so for different me i have different favorite tools so nothing beats the smell of an angle grinder to me (laughs) (laughs) i just love it and the sound and you know you put your face shield on safety glasses underneath your face shield and you're like cutting and the sparks are all over you and like that kind of weird burning smell i love it um okay you heard it here first (laughs) folks first of all safety first and second she loves this burning smell from the grinder okay great yeah and then i also really uh i really like bending pipe um so we bend conduit and then we pull wire in the conduit and it's kind of it's pretty athletic, and, well, and, it's, and there's but an it's also thing. like shooting pool. So yeah. you have to like really look, really use your eyes and plan stuff. And yeah, there's a there's so a, it, definitely an art to, to to doing that to get it right. Yeah, excellent. So I we have uh, these big inch and a quarter benders, and I'm quite tall, so I, it's actually not that terrible for me to to use them. So I I you just have to be super aggressive about it and safe at the same time and i really enjoy those so nice all right so any any sage advice for people considering a career in the trades like what would you tell somebody if they came to you and said oh i was kind of thinking maybe my university isn't for me or i'm thinking of like yeah. a second career what what would you say to them i'd say the trades are not for everybody but for those of you out there it's it can be if you have the right personality, if you can deal with a bit of adversity, um, it's deeply satisfying work, oh. and it's well paid. Um, so it's it's not easy. This is not easy work, but it's uh, so satisfying to be able to make things work, um, to know how things work. Uh, it's incredibly empowering. 
Yeah, you just took the word right out of my mouth. I was just yeah, yeah, no, you took the word right out of my mouth. And things are changing so that there, there is more support. Uh, there are uh, more opportunities for women. There's more networking for women. Women are supporting each other. Uh, so I'm tremendously lifted up by many of my colleagues at BCIT and uh, one of my supervisors of my master's who, who, who I have a relationship with now who's been mentoring me for a number of years. Um, so there's lots of supports out there. Um, and you should expect to face adversity, but it's well compensated. So great money. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Do it. That's that's a, that's a fabulous answer. All all, all of those things. Yeah, all but right, you well, might you might find that you don't like to get dirty, and you don't like to have a little cut on your hand, and that might not be for you. I mean, I I just do paperwork now and teach, so I'm not on the tools. But. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, and I again, thank you so much for joining me on the show. And thanks for all of the work you're doing to advocate for women, to be helping your peers, and um, just generally, like, just being badass in your in your world in the trades. I, I just, I'm so impressed, and I'm just so grateful that you decided that you were willing to come on the show. Oh, thank you, Brandy, and thank you for supporting uh, young women at BCIT. That's awesome. And for coming out to our meetups, because women need to see that there's next steps as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And then they need to feel that support from the top down. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Okay. So for those listening, keep it real. And thanks for being here. Really, I appreciate it. And be sure to check out our other episodes in this and all of the other All Things Renovation series. And until next time, keep being badass at whatever trade you're in. Thank you, Brandy. Thanks for listening, and I hope you feel as inspired as I do. If you or someone you know has interest in the trades, there are many resources, many programs and supports. There's also a ton of women's groups out there specifically for those who are in the trades. We'll list a number of them in the show notes, but be sure to reach out if you're having challenges finding some in your area. We're all in this together after all, and we're happy to help in any way we can.